Black and white and red all over. Ian Murta. He can talk football all day. Well, I'm nursing a heavy cold today. The big question is, will our three teams be under par tomorrow? Or will Newcastle be red hot in the televised encounter at the city ground against Nottingham Forest? Will Sunderland be warming the temperatures of their fans at the stadium and light when Plymouth are the visitors? And can Middlesbrough put the chill up Bristol City at the Riverside? The big answer is none of us know. Who would have predicted Luton score getting a point at Newcastle in a 4-4 draw? What we've got right now is three teams. Yes, they look top-half teams, but they're in mid-table. Sunderland and Middlesbrough, well, I would say the odds of them reaching the playoffs are slightly worse than 50-50. And if the truth be known, it'll probably be the same for Newcastle qualifying for Europe. As far as the Champions League goes, I think they're as close to the top four as they are to the bottom three. So Newcastle are very much at the crossroads as well. Dave, it's, uh, as I say, we've been trying to analyse the season from since the, the show started six months ago, but we're still no nearer knowing <laughs> how to solve the problem that is the North East football. Uh, how do you solve that riddle? Yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're looking in the Premier League or whether you're looking in the, uh, in the Championship. There's just uh, so much unexpected outcomes happening every weekend. Yeah, you really can. I mean, I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to be a, a professional gambler trying to look at these games and think. Uh, where's well, a good me- job the three legends and, and myself and my guests <laughs> aren't, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Where's me bet going to come up from? No idea. Uh, but it's interesting that the legends have all pipped for a hat trick of wins this weekend. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's true. Newcastle. It's ironically, it's Newcastle's away form which is picked up now, and I think they've gone three home games without without a win. But. Uh, Yes, they went in the cup at Sunderland and they had a very good performance at Aston Villa. So I think Newcastle be relatively confident going up against a Forest side who needed extra time to dispose of Bristol City in the FA Cup. Bristol City, of course, the Robins are the visitors on Teesside tomorrow. And again, I'm sure Michael Carrick was quite happy to see extra time in that game as well. Middlesbrough need to sort out their home form. They're doing all right away from home, but that their home form is, quite frankly, it's... Um, it's bottom half of the table form, isn't it? It's holding them back, isn't it? I mean, it's um, as a as a Borough fan, it's really frustrating to see. You know, we can we can pick up a decent result away from home, um, and then you can lose or, or disappointedly just pull a point out of a home game. So, um, it's it's that inconsistency I think is going to cost the Borough this season. And I'm very close to. I know they're only four points away from the playoffs. Um, but I'm still, you know, at a point where I'm reaching, thinking I don't see a clear path through to a, to a fifth or sixth position finish at the end of the season. Mm, I, I tend to agree with you at this stage. Sunderland, two weeks ago, they were pretty impressive against Stoke. Last week, less so in the 1-1 draw at the Riverside, despite what Michael Beale says. Yes, they probably edged the first half. Yes, they were the stronger side once they got a fortuitous equaliser. But uh, I'm, I remain to be convinced about this new look Black Cat side under Michael Beale. Beginning of the season, I thought they were contenders for automatic promotion. Well, I was proved hopelessly wrong there. But I, I guess, like a lot of fans, I'm still missing Mowbray football. Yeah, a lot of fans are still talking about him as well. Um, although I, I'm, I might have this a mile wrong, and if there's Sunderland fans out there, uh, give us a shout. You can WhatsApp us on 0330 
Um, but I just get the feeling that Sunderland fans are quietening now. Um, has Beal done enough just for them to say, right, let's give him a chance, whereas go back a couple of weeks and everybody was up in arms about him? Well, that's, that's right. I mean, the big pressure was on him a fortnight ago. I remember speaking on the show before the Stoke game, and if they had lost that game, war betide Beal. But uh, yes, obviously, you know, victories do quieten dissent, and... The, uh, an away draw at Boa, well, it's not. It's not to be uh, sniffed at, is it? Not the way it's, it came around. No, I'm well, sure that, they would have looked almost treated the uh, the one-one scoreline as a victory in the end. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, any, any side does if it gets a late equaliser, doesn't it? And they did look the more likely winners going into the closing, the dying minutes of that game. But it wasn't a great performance, was it? Suddenly, their football. I think the tempos slow down a bit. They need to get back to that tick-a-tack of football which was so impressive although not always successful but uh, you know so attractive on the eye under Tony Mowbray mm. but listen Dave I, I'm, I'm rather pleased who I've got for my first guest because well quite frankly I've been I've been nagging him for, for months to come on the show and he was a little bit shy at first but I've been telling him about our friendly listeners and about how much he'd enjoy the chat so uh I'd love to welcome it's Middlesbrough's head of media, Paul Dews. Well, it's been an eventful few weeks so far in 2024, Paul, but I guess it's so much for Middlesbrough to sense of what might have been and so near yet so far. It is, but I think if someone had given us a League Cup semi-final at the start of the season, we'd have taken it. Um, you know, we had a great run in the League Cup. and We took some great followings to some places a long, long way away. And, That's right. You know, all right. They're disappointed now at finishing Chelsea, but you know we had the night at home when we beat them. So yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's been it's been good. It's been good. Uh, it certainly has been good, and I would say that you know there's certainly no no sense of of despondency or, or despair among the Riverside faithful. It, it's more disappointment because you know you were a few minutes away from taking Aston Villa to a replay in the FA Cup, won the first leg of the Carabao Cup and then, you know, dominated large parts of the the Teesweer Derby last week only to be denied yeah. in the closing stages. So, it, it, you know, a month ago, the season was full of possibilities. Now it's, it's I guess it's playoffs or bust. Well, it's, it, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those leagues, isn't it, Ian? We're, we're what, I think we're four points off the playoffs as it stands. Um, you know, and I know it's a cliche, but everyone literally can get a result against anyone in this league. So yeah, we're just going to keep keep going and, and see where see where it takes us. Now you're head of media, Paul. You've you, you've been uh, s- several years now, but uh, <coughs> I remember <clears throat> talking to one of your predecessors, Dave Allen, and yep. he was there at the time when you know Middlesbrough almost had a season ticket for Wembley. They yeah. had some <laughs> re- remarkable results against the big teams, and of course won their first major honour and reached a European final. Yeah, and I remember talking to Dave. It was unbelievable time. <laughs> oh, it certainly was. It's uh, it was magnificent. But he said a club only knows its golden era when you come out of it. Now, yeah, I, I, I think, thought that I, think I, I thought true. that was very true because, you know, younger Middlesbrough fans won't know those days, but there will never be days like that. But what do you see as as the height of Middlesbrough's ambitions right now? I th- well, I think you look at those days when when the club was a sort of top half Premier League club playing in Europe and doing well in the cups. That's not out of that's not out of reach of any club. 
Um, you know, and I would over over a period of time, you know, that'll be great to think that's where Middlesbrough can get back to. Um, you know, all right, you've got your big six and or your big five, whatever you want to call them, and you say that the gap the gap might be opening up at the top in terms of Champions League football and, and title winners. Um, and unfortunately, as well in knockout competitions now, it does seem a bit same clubs eventually with by the time you get to the final. Um, but I think any club realistically will want to be just sat outside that group and over a period of time. Look at how Brighton have progressed in recent years. They're they're they're, they're a, a sort of blueprint for anyone at Brighton. Um, with the fact that they've got where they are. You know, I've covered Middlesbrough since before they moved to the Riverside, and, and even now I see Middlesbrough as a Premier League club in exile rather than a championship club, very much as I do Sunderland. But I think it is fair to say, Paul, for, for younger Borough fans, they can barely remember the Premier League days. I think it's only one season in the last 15 have been in, in, in the top flight mixing with the big boys. And how, how do you see the club? Do you see them as one of the, the top 20, 25 clubs in the country, as, as, as one of their, um, the PR men at the club? How oh, do you 100%, see them? 100%. Yep. I see middle, middle, Middlesbrough at a Premier League football club, just not in the yes. Premier League. 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, stadium, fan base... Um, history over the years, um, Middlesbrough are a Premier League club, um, and I think as I've just sort of touched upon, Bright- Brighton for me are the current sort of blueprint for clubs to follow. They show that it is achieve. Not only is Premier League achievable and su- survival is achievable, but it's also achievable pushing those top teams over a sustained period of time. So yeah, for me, yes, Middle- so- Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough are a massive football club. Of course, you mentioned fan base, you mentioned history. I'll mention something else. Rockcliffe is one of the finest training grounds in the country, still is. I mean, I think a lot of it is due to its environment and, uh, you know, the, the trees at the back. You know, Sunderland have a very impressive training ground. Newcastle have spent millions on refurbishing theirs, but they don't have that, the, the scenery that Middlesbrough have. Do you think the, do you think the players, do they take that for granted or... Mm. Are they aware that they're very lucky to be to be going into every day to an environment such as that? They are. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me in how when I'll show a new player around, um, yeah. and they walk into the changing rooms for starters at Rockcliffe, and there's an expression of wow, you know, the, yeah. these facilities are excellent. The look outside at the pitches and the look at the environment, and there is a genuine. No, I won't say disbelief, but there is a genuine wow. This this is a great setup here. Um, so no, I don't I don't think people take it for granted. I mean, it is a, it is a lovely setting, and and the facilities we have um, are absolutely top class. Yeah, I I can remember when uh, that the short stint Terry Venables had uh, in the northeast, and he used to rave about it, and he also said how much he enjoyed. Um, living in, in the Herworth area. You know, everyone th- thinks of uh, the late great El Tell as, as a Cockney wide boy, but he yeah. really loved his his, uh, his tenure at, at Middlesbrough and largely that was due to the facilities and the surrounding area. Yeah, I mean, I mean they do. I mean, we, I mean Neil Warnock used to love him around here as well. He would have thought he was off out on his little bike. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll talk about him in a few minutes, yeah. I mean, he's been, I mean, Michael, when Michael and one of the coaches, quite regular little visitors to Saltburn, just for a little walk on the beach, under um, yes. the cover of darkness. Um, but they they get out. So every manager, every manager, and a lot of the players, they do visit these places, um, and they do get out. And they do a pretty. I don't. They don't realise what the area is like until they come up. 
Um, that's true. It, and, yeah, and that's think, true. And I think that's the same with anyone, Ian. We 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 are very fortunate to live in a real beautiful part of the world here. Um, that's right. But you don't re- you don't realise it until you're up in the area and you're settled in the area and you know how easy these places are in reach. Um, but just going back to what you said about facilities, I, I, I'll tell you one story. We, um, I'll, leave, I'll leave you to work out who this is, but we signed, we signed a player in January um, yep. that when he walked into the dressing room, couldn't believe the dressing rooms, um, and he'd signed from a pretty big club. <laughs> mm. well, it's got to be one of three, but uh, in case I get the wrong one, I'll, uh, I, won't, I won't try and identify, but <coughs> I do remember, of course, that... Uh, before Rockcliffe was developed in the in the in the late nineties, uh, Fabrizio Ravanelli complaining about the club training uh, on prison grounds and getting dog poo in his, on his on his shoes. So it has come a long way from then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like we've just said: the, the facilities are excellent. The facilities are excellent. Um, you know, and they do need. We like to we like to get players up to see to see what area it is that they're coming and and get a feel for the place. Absolutely. Now, uh, Paul, uh, heads of media all over the country, they, they, they can come from various backgrounds. They can come from corporate, they can come from PR. You, you come from a, a journalistic background, which uh, it will surprise no one to hear that I, I think is the best background for someone in, in your position. You, I, I first got to know you when you were covering Leeds, but uh, yeah. tell me, tell me about the job and... Uh, you know, do you see it still very much as the club's journalist, or do you see it as corporate or PR? It it, it, it has changed massively. Ian. I mean, yes. If I just go back to when sort of I, I was chief sports writer in the Yorkshire Evening Post for the best part of ten years, and yep. I said, I that is the greatest job, um, writing about football for pleasure. Um, I mean, you've done it all your life. You know what it is. It's yes. a fantastic. It's a fantastic way to earn a living and a little bit of cricket in summer. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Um, but you could see football changing. Whereas the days when, and I mean, again, you will know this, but we used to have everybody's telephone number. Um, you used yes. to just ring the manager when you wanted. You'd phone the chairman. You'd ring everybody. And no those bloody press officers to ruin it for us, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and then, but. Uh, the other thing as well is, is the internet. I know that sounds a bit of an old school thing to say now, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah. when, as the internet grew, there were more and more and more different news outlets. Um, oh, absolutely. And, it, it, and it, made, it made sense for clubs to use their own news outlet themselves, i.e. their yes. own website, their own communication tools. Um, yes. And that's, it's, it's, I find on this side, it's quite, it's quite a balancing act, Ian, because... Obviously, you want to push stuff through your own channels because it benefits you in terms of um, it can benefit you in terms of commercial deals. The more people who who, re- who read your own stuff, who visit your own site, um, but equally, it's a case of trying to you know work with guys like you as well to service to service what you need and make yes. sure that you're happy. Um, yeah. So it is a little bit of a balancing act at times. Um, whether we do it well or not, I don't know. You you tell me. <laughs> well, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to to become big headed, but I, I do think Middlesbrough are one of those clubs you've got the balance just about right. But I, I am glad to hear that you preferred poaching to gamekeeping. That <laughs> <laughs> is, I mean, listen. The one thing that I've got in the job I do now, I I get to sit in and go into unbelievable <laughs> places, unbelievable yes. access, I should say. Um, which even course. in a newspaper necessarily you don't always get that. Um, That's right. You know, I mean, yeah, I've been sat behind the bench at Old Trafford. I was, I was sat down there at Chelsea the other week. 
Um, you know, you get you, it's it, 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 there's some unbelievable times when you still have to sort of pinch yourself and think, "Wow, do I do this?" Yes, yeah. I mean, I think it it is important to have a, a close relationship with with the manager, and without yeah. you asking you to, to to grade every manager you've worked with out of ten, well, I think it's fair to say. Absolutely, but I think it is fair to say you know your relationship with Michael Carrick is is a healthy one, is is a fruitful one, is a good one. Yeah, yeah, um, I find my, Michael's great to work with. Um, when he came in, obviously you, you've seen Michael the player, you've seen what he's achieved, um, you know, and you've only seen him on TV um, or, or maybe he played yeah. against us at some point. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah, and someone comes in, so you never know what to expect. Um, but no, I have to, Michael's great. He's a very, very humble guy, very down to earth, um, good sense of humour. Um, yes. Um, and he's the, he's the most he's he's got an unbelievable way of just things are all, all everything's on a level. When, when we started the season this year, I think we went seven without a win. Um, and I think in sort of my twenty five years in game, it, I think it's the worst start in terms of results I'd ever been involved with. But you wouldn't have known it. You wouldn't have. You didn't you feel it at all. You just felt you were one win away from forwards. And, and, well, that's and right. That's it. right. And that's 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 well, a, a lot of that is down to Michael. Well, I, I remember having journalists on this show back in, in, in August and September, and that's what we were talking about, you know, when he was he was, he was always courteous and polite. He's never the most uh, forthcoming manager, but that, that's, that's of his choosing. But his, his demeanour was exactly the same, win, lose, or draw. Yeah, yeah, he is, and that's, that's important, that's important. Um, I mean, going back, what, 15 years, I worked with um, Simon Grayson at Leeds, and yes. Simon always used to have the attitude that if you win, you don't get carried away. If you lose, you don't get too despondent. And that's always sort of stuck with me, really. And, you know, some managers are not like that. They will be up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, but Michael yes. is literally as level as the come. That's right. Mind you, I remember Simon during his ill-fated stint at Sunderland. He got pretty despondent then. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, he did. I, I, tell don't, you, I don't think that would have been a journal time for him. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Absolutely. Listen, uh, another manager you know very well and work with closely has been back in the news this week. Uh, the Peter Pan of football, Neil Warnock, <laughs> the new Aberdeen manager. There must be some good <coughs> stories. I mean, I, I, I can remember you sitting alongside with press codes and you, you, sometimes you, you, you struggle to contain a laugh. You, you enjoyed working with Neil as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did, I, did en- I did enjoy working with him. Um, I've worked with Neil twice. I worked with Neil at Leeds. Um, yes. And he found he, it was quite a tough period, was that? Um, but when he came in at Middlesbrough, um, he, it's a cliche getting it about a breath of fresh air. Um, yes. But he came, he came in. Um, and this might surprise a lot of people, but I think he's mellowed a lot, <laughs> Neil, from what he was. I think he has. I, um, I remember him from his Scarborough days, Paul, way, way back. Yeah, and he was a lot more uptight, I think, then than you know, he's yes. very, very sort of level. And um yeah, um it's great to, it's great to, it's great to see him back. Great to see him back. Um I was surprised when I saw where he'd gone. Um so I'm wondering if Aberdeen do a flight a direct flight to Newquay. Um I know, but I know he's got I know. a house I, I know he's got a house on the west coast of Scotland as well. Um but I yes. still think that'll be four hours away from Aberdeen. Um but it'd be interesting to see how he goes on. Um, I don't <clears throat> looking at the sort of table. I don't really know what what Aberdeen's aim is. They're not going to get relegated. 
and Europe's a big ask. So I, I don't really know what what sort of the target for him would be or anything. Um, I, but it was funny I, to I, see I that suspect on the touchline this week. Yes, as a Celtic fan, he could have done us a favour uh, on Tuesday night, but never mind. Uh, but but uh, I think Aberdeen, you know, they, they again, a bit like Middlesbrough's glory days at the turn of this millennium, they're never going to repeat the, the time that they had with Fergie. But I think that in a good season, they'd be competing with Hearts for third place, probably. Yeah, I think that's that's the realistic aim, isn't it? You've, you've got, you know, no one's ever going to catch Celtic and Rangers. Um, but Aberdeen... Aberdeen Hearts, him should be up there really as a as a sort of yes. pushing for that yeah. place. Um, that's right. Whether whether Neil's there beyond the end of the season or not, who knows? So that's why I, I just I'm not overly sure what he's because they look they look to be as safe as ours to Aberdeen. So quite what he's, what he's what he's is over the next sort of three months. I don't know. Do you know what? I I suspect he's had a private bet with Roy Hodgson to see who can uh, ca- uh, carry on working the longest and the, the oldest <laughs> age. I think yeah, I think they're in a private right. battle to to get the Guinness Book of Records. But listen, let, let let's turn to <coughs> this weekend's games because you might be head of media at Middlesbrough, but I will be asking you to make your predictions for Newcastle's evening trip to Nottingham Forest and Sunderland's home game against Plymouth, as well as Middlesbrough Bristol City. So bearing in mind, I've got a pretty good idea what you're going to say for the game at the Riverside tomorrow. I'll ask you for your prediction for that one first. Well, I've got to say Middlesbrough win. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say anything well, honestly, of, of course, and honestly, Middlesbrough, if they want Bristol to keep their... Bristol a good side, by the way. They Bristol are a good side. And good side. I watched them beat Coventry. Uh, sorry, they drew at Coventry a couple of weeks ago. Um, and they, they're a good side of Bristol City. And of course, they, they they were a little bit unlucky to lose out in the FA Cup to Nottingham Forest, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They were. I mean, so. what a shame it went to extra time, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Newcastle fans and Borough fans would be quite happy about that. But Middlesbrough, I mean, you, you do need to get your, your Riverside form back on track because no no side is going to is going to get into the top six, let alone win promotion with a mediocre home record. So really you need to start winning the vast majority of your remaining fixtures on Teesside. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said earlier, Ian, we're in a league where results literally just come out of nowhere. Um, and, yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, you want to win all your home games, draw you the way again, you go up. I think that's that's that used to be the old mantra, didn't it? That takes you the points to go up. But it's not always, it's not always like that. Listen, we we just, again, talking in a cliche, it's literally a game at a time. We're, we're, yeah. we're reasonably placed. Just, just keep going and we'll see where it takes us. Yeah. Yep. Do you get do you get the chance to watch Newcastle and Sunderland? Obviously, you'll 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 have seen Sunderland when they played Boa, but do you, have, do you get the chance to watch the other northeast teams? Paul? No, no. I mean, I did watch. I watched when they played each other in the FA Cup. Um, yes. And I have to admit, I really enjoyed it. There were no VAR, and um, with some of the challenges that flew in, it was it was like a bit of a throwback. Was that was that? So I quite enjoyed it was. the cup. Yes. Let, let, let's ask you, Sunderland at, at Plymouth tomorrow. And of course, Michael Beale's still having a difficult time. And while I, I disagreed with his assessment of the game last week, it, it is a fact that Sunderland, you know, had a half decent first half and they did finish the strongest side. But uh, I, I think Middlesbrough and Sunderland, there's very, very little to choose between them, as, as was proved last week. Do you see them as major rivals for that fifth and sixth spots in the table? Um, yeah, but I think that I wouldn't just cite Sunderland. I think you've got, you know, there's six, seven, eight teams really at this moment in time that we'll all be looking to to finish in those spots. Um, you know, I think 
the top uh, for me, the top three is decided. It's just it's and uh, whoever yes. finishes second will be between Southampton and Leeds. Um, yes. The rest is up for grabs. I, I'm still not convinced that Ipswich will be in there at the end of the season, but we'll see. Interesting, um, interesting. You know, and there's there's it's, it's any team that puts together that run. If we <laughs> could put together another run like we had before Christmas, um, you know, it suddenly takes you right into the thick of it. Then Ian. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And do you see Sunderland beating Plymouth? Um, they should do. Well, you you would say they should do. They're at home. Um, I know Plymouth fly, so it'll be it will. But Plymouth had an FA Cup tie midweek that went to extra time. Um, yes. You know, you'd look at it and you'd say you'd say yes, but but you but you just can't you can't tell. It's very difficult to predict. We'll go with a draw it's, on that one. Right, interesting. And I guess it's your personal ambition to have a a Middlesbrough Middlesbrough Leeds playoff final at Wembley. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no, no, no. That surprises me. That surprises no. me. Why? No, I'd rather, well, I'd, rather be, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather we did. I'd rather we did it. Right, right. Just oh, you, I we'll just have to beat Leeds in the in the playoff semi-finals. Paul. That'll, that'll <laughs> do for me. That'll do for me. <laughs> and uh, Newcastle's game at Nottingham Forest. Now, of course, Nottingham Forest. Uh, Beat Newcastle at St James's Park on Boxing Day when Chris Wood got a hat trick. He'll he'll be injured t- uh, tomorrow because he's someone uh, you you'll remember from the, his Leeds days. But uh, do you see no, Forrest? I'm middle, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a middle No, no, I'm just saying remembering. Yes, uh, you you'll um, you, you will be assuming that Newcastle are going to beat Forrest tomorrow. Yeah, I mean they need to do, don't they? I think. Yeah. Um, yes. You know the 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 do need the do need a result, and again you you've got the you know we've had the extra time in midweek um, that Forest have had. Um, Newcastle had a clear week, um, so yeah, I think you got to fancy Newcastle to go down there and win. Well, if you get your predictions right, a Newcastle win, a Bow win, and a Sunderland draw, I might just buy you a half. <laughs> That'd be a first. <laughs> well, it's been it's been it's been lovely talking, Jed, all over the northeast. There will be listeners saying, "Ah, so that's what Paul Jews sounds like," <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> that's the thing about press officers. Everyone sees you all, but no one ever hears you. So uh, now they know. Yeah, seen and not heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I, as I said to, before, Paul, you're someone who's better to be heard than seen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, it's been, it's been lovely talking to you, and, uh, and you. I'm at the Boa match tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, mate. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye bye. Dave, I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. We'll talk Newcastle now because the guest in the second half of the program is very much Sunderland orientated. Okay. Do you consider Newcastle a mid-table Premier League side? Oh, you're splitting it in two. Um, mm. Tell I would, why. I'll I would, tell you why. Yeah, I would. I, it's it's it's. An, I'd say they're a top ten side. That's what I now consider. Well, it's interesting. Them. Because I, I did a little bit of a survey just with my Newcastle supporting mates, very unscientific. I asked six people, six mates, I said, would you be satisfied if Newcastle finished ninth this season, which is where they are at the moment? Three said yes. Three said no. Now, yes, okay, to, uh, one of the guys who said yes said as long as we win the FA Cup. But the fact is, you know, it's, it's our Newcastle underachieving this season or is it that they overachieved so dramatically last season that this season's pales in comparison 
they overachieved last season without a shadow of a well, doubt, and I'm not yes, saying yes. that as a rival Northeast football fan. Uh, they did. Um, this season is more where I expected them to be this season. So, you know, once the takeover came in, uh, once we saw what Eddie Howe was doing, you know, this is they're at the point now where I expected them to be, which is not too far away from a European spot, but not there challenging directly. So they're exactly where I expected. Last season, I, I was as blown away by, by as many people uh, who looked at Newcastle and thought, wow, what on earth are they doing? Because uh, massively overachieved. Oh, it was a wow season. It was yeah. a wow season. And yes, other clubs did underachieve, but Newcastle were good enough to take advantage. But saying that, they're going to get three points over the weekend. I'm, I'm confident of that. I wonder. I mean, I, w- I was at St. James's Park on Boxing Day when Forrest did a job. Now, Forrest have pay- had pace in the side and Chris Wood had the game of his life that afternoon and they ran out deserved winners despite Newcastle taking the lead. Now, it's mm. very, very rare for... Newcastle take the lead at St James's Park and to, and to lose. Tomorrow, I think it's an interesting game. I'm I'm personally going to go for a draw. I think Forest are a better side now under their new manager than they were under Steve Cooper, and so I can see it finishing maybe two two. Uh, which I don't think would be a bad result for either side, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, but they've they've not won this this year in the Premier League. Um, that's uh, it's their current run of form that I'm looking at. No, no, at they, home. They, they won they won at, they won at Villa in the previous in the previous away game. So their away form has improved. I'm just looking at them. Just looking at their scores now. So you've got a one-one draw, Bournemouth, ten men, Bournemouth. You've got a two-one defeat at home to Arsenal, which was not an embarrassment. Losing at home to Arsenal, then nil-nil uh, Bristol City. Um, well, it, well, hold on. This, this is, I don't think you're looking at Newcastle at the minute. Oh no, I'm looking at Forest. That's no, sorry, I was looking at Forest. <laughs> oh, was, sorry. That's why I was Do saying I'm confident. I'm confident. It's yes. For, Forest's yes. current current run of form is not great. Yes. Um, and, you know, failing at home to beat the likes of Blackpool, like I say, Arsenal, nobody would, would say yes. that that was a shock losing at home to Arsenal. But, you know, failing to beat Bristol City at home as well. It just it just smacks to me that it's set up for a Newcastle victory. Well, you know, let, let's hope so. But uh, it's interesting. You know, Newcastle, 33 points. They're not going to qualify for the Champions League again, I think think we can say that with relative certainty yeah. 13 points off Aston Villa and that looks a, a, a five horse race between Liverpool, Man City Arsenal, Aston Villa and Spurs but they'll need to finish 7th to qualify for Europe will they do it? Well I've, I've still got a sneaky suspicion that Chelsea are going to improve during the, the final third of the season they've got too many good good players and too good a coach as their manager to just be drifting along in mid-table so it is going to be tough uh, as I say I think it will be a 2-2 draw tomorrow and I'll take a 2-2 draw tomorrow I'm going for a 2-0 Newcastle win interesting yep interesting indeed but right anyway my second guest will be coming up after the news black and white and red all over he can talk football all day Ian Murta. My next guest became the Evening Chronicle's Sunderland writer in the summer of 1999. In the next 24 years, he rarely missed a game. 
And you know something? He's still got his own teeth, and I don't think there's a grey hair on him. Now, many people would say, well, serial killers have served lesser life sentences than him. But all I'd say to James Hunter is you deserve a Distinguished Service Medal. Good evening, James, and welcome to the Black and White and Red All Over show. Evening. Thank you very much for that, Ian. I feel like I've been sort of let out early on good behaviour. <laughs> You're not really going to get a DSM medal, by the way. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> Listen, I think the most remarkable thing about about your job is you, you're clearly far more organised as a journalist than I am because am I right that you you know exactly how many games you've covered? Yeah, uh, but only because I've I've missed quite you know so few that I was yes. quite easy to tot up how how many Sunderland have played in that time. So it wasn't a difficult calculation. I, I didn't keep a, a running total, but just when I was right. coming to the end, um, uh, when I was leaving, I just totted up how many games it would be. So how many was it between uh, August '99 and uh, December 2023? Uh, it was uh, 1,152, and that's first-team competitive games. So there's wow. friendlies and obviously under-21 games and everything on top of that. But uh, uh, yeah, so uh, 1,152 first-team competitive games. And how many did you miss in that time? Five. That's incredible. Well, of course, as as you know, I, I did I did uh, the same job for the Chronicle between 1990 and 95. And I, I, I think I, in that period, I missed two. I missed one for the, the birth of my eldest son. And I missed one for, for a wedding uh, in 1992 when Sunderland, I think, played four games in, in eight days. So that was a good excuse yeah. as well. But, you know, y- you should feel rightly proud because there have been some... Wonderful journalists in that role, and I'm not including myself, but the famous Len Hetherington, who who covered it from the mid 50s until the early 70s, who was taken over by his son Paul Hetherington, who became a distinguished uh, football writer in the national scene. Brian McNally, then Ian Whittle, and then there was myself. But I think your tenure uh, eclipsed all of us. Um, Possibly so. I mean, obviously, I think Len would have been uh, the longest of, of all those um, names that you yes, just mentioned. Yes. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I know when I when I left, uh, I got a lovely um, uh, text from from Len's son Clive, who obviously um, I worked with uh, yes. in journalism in the northeast, and, and he said uh, he thought that I'd um, been doing the, the job for, for longer than his dad had. So uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite it is quite a long long list. So I, I guess I, it's a small mark in history that. I've I've made if, if nothing else. So tell, tell me, James, before before we go on, on, on to the present day, I'd love to dip into, into your vast memory bank and uh, are the, the matches that stand out, the players that stand out, the goals that stand out. So, I mean, you, you have when when you started, of course, uh, you your first three or four years were were some of the most successful of the post-war era for Sunderland. You must have thought this is a breeze. You must have been dusting down your passport, thinking Europe was a formality. Because, but, uh, you know, those, those early years under Peter Reid, they, they were fantastic, weren't they? They were. They were absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, and I must admit, looking back, I don't think I appreciated them enough because uh, coming, coming to the northeast and and taking on the job and seeing Sunderland um, in the Premier League and, and finishing seventh in, in uh, those two seasons, my first two seasons, um, finishing seventh in the Premier League. 
you know, challenging for European places. I thought, well, this is going to be the the shape of things to come, and uh, yes. <laughs> you know. Uh, um, as, as, as we know, that that isn't the case. They've never got back to the, to that level since. Um, so I, yes, I, I wish I'd appreciated those times more. With uh, you know, obviously Kevin Phillips scoring goals for fun, and players like uh, Niall Quinn, and uh, at the very end of Kevin Ball's time as as captain and Sunderland player when I came to uh, to the northeast. So yeah, um, I, the, the, they were w- wonderful times, and and um, I wish I'd I, I wish I'd appreciated. Them more now. Now I can remember. I think my time at the Journal uh, coincided with your arrival at the Chronicle. My, in fact, my my last game for the Journal was arguably the best Sunderland game I covered for the Journal, which was the which was when the when Sunderland beat Chelsea four one. They were four 0 up at half time. Kevin Phillips, of course, yeah. scored that wonderful goal. That that must be that must be right up there with with your most memorable games. It is yes. Um, it's it's one of those. It's regularly referred to as as the best game um, that the Stadium of Light has has seen. Um, I think it was, um, you know, just an amazing feeling. Um, I mean, obviously, um, Chelsea hadn't yet got the Roman Abramovich, um, you know, billions, um, but they were still one of the, the top teams in in the country. Um, they'd beaten Sunderland four 0 down at Stamford Bridge, and what was That's my right. uh, first. Uh, um, uh, competitive game covering Sunderland, um, so it was such a turnaround for, for Sunderland then to find themselves four 0 up by half time. Um, I don't think anybody could could believe it, least of all uh, myself. So uh, so yes, that was definitely one of, one of the highlights. Uh, absolutely incredible game and one that people still talk about, you know, even to this day. And are there any other particular games over the next twenty three years, twenty four years that stand out, James? Um, yeah, there, there are. There are games that stand out for good reasons and bad, really. I mean, there'll, there'll be plenty for bad, won't there? <laughs> there's, there's plenty for bad. Um, I mean, obviously, there was the FA Cup semi final against uh, Millwall at Old Trafford in what would that be, 2000 and, uh, 2004? Four? Would that have been? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, so, so there was that game. I mean, that was a huge missed opportunity because um, uh, obviously Sun- Sunderland uh, uh, went into that game knowing that had they beaten Millwall and made it to the final, you know, that would have been enough to ensure European qualification. It would, um, uh, but by itself. So that was uh, that was a, a game that, that stands out. Of course, there are games when when Sunderland have secured promotion. Um, they beat uh, was it Luton? They, they, they beat to to win um, uh, to win the title under Roy Keane in two thousand and seven. Um, so yeah, there was uh, there's been some really outstanding games, and of course there, there have been you know numerous uh, derby games that live long in the memory. You know, my first derby game covering Sunderland was the the two uh, one Sunderland win at St James's Park in the pouring rain, which was quite an introduction to the fixture. Um, and uh, an introduction to the fixture and, and the weather up here. Um, when so, when, when so, your yeah. evening chronicle, when your evening chronicle colleague ended up walking around the St James's Park press room in his underpants, if you remember, uh, um, Alan Oliver. I, I, I do remember that. That's something, that's something I tried to forget. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. What what about uh, favourite goals? 
And I should have prepared you for this, James, really. I mean, yeah, be, it's always uh, difficult because you, you see so many, don't you? Um, I, I mean, of course. Uh, I, I think, I think favourite goals tend to coincide with great games. I mean, you talked about that game when Sunderland won the title at Luton under Roy Keane the previous, uh, a, a few days earlier, the clinched promotion against Burnley. And uh, yeah. I think it was a 3-2 winner. It was a wonderful, wonderful game. And Carlos Edwards scored the winner. I think that's got to be one of my favourite goals in the stadium of light. Yeah, that was uh, that was an incredible goal. I can I can I can picture that as as we talk about it. Um, I'm trying to think um, uh, what else. I mean, obviously there's Jermaine Defoe's strike against uh, Newcastle to to win the derby. Um, yes. There was um, cool, um, great bo- bolos ending so winner against Spurs. Can you remember that one? Bolo, yeah, bolos ending winner against uh, against Spurs. That was. Uh, Fabulous strike! I remember. I remember a, a brilliant goal that Julio Arca scored down against Bradford City. Um, you know, which was the team that I'd covered before Sunderland, before I moved That's up right, here. Yes, yes. Um, he, he basically picked up the ball on the edge of his own penalty area and dribbled all the way to the edge of the Bradford penalty area and and chipped the keeper from there. I mean, that was an incredible goal. It's um, one a personal personal favourite of mine. It's probably one that not everybody remembers it wasn't a spectacular strike but it was just such an incredible run um, and who can forget so yeah there, who can there forget, have been yeah. some, some amazing ones and there'd be wacky goals as well who can forget Darren Bent's uh, beach ball goal against Liverpool yeah I mean that was uh, you know you know, you, you very rarely see, see see the like of, of anything like that um, that was that was just in, in one of those incredible uh, you know sort of what happened next moments on, on question of sport also, and I'll, he won't thank me for mentioning this. I remember Michael Proctor scoring two own goals in, in a game right. at the Stadium of Light um, against Charlton. In, was in, that in, yeah. against against Charlton? Yes, two own goals in, in pretty short order, just a few minutes apart, if, if my memory serves. Um, so yeah, there there have been some absolutely bizarre. There was a, there was an incredible um, volley from uh, own goal from San. Santiago Virginia, I remember in, in a game. I think that was down at Southampton in a heavy defeat. So yeah, the, eight nil defeat. Have, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there have been some, you know, quite remarkable strikes over over time. And, and I'm sure that if I sat down and I really thought thought about it and I had the time to think about it, I could come up with a, a list as long as your arm of, of brilliant goals and absolute howlers. Tell, tell me, James. I mean, and this is the bit that Newcastle. Our Newcastle listeners and Middlesbrough listeners will be pricking up their ears for. There have been some absolute wretched times. I mean, you know, Sunderland, I think they went, was it almost a calendar year without winning at the stadium? And I, were there times when you, it, it felt like a drudgery, a, a, a bad job turning up watching Sunderland when they were losing every week and turning in miserable performances and the club was directionless and the players didn't seem motivated? How, how how bad was that for you? Yeah, I mean it was it was some terrible times. I mean I think if you look back to the um, uh, to the fifteen point season and the nineteen point season, um, you know I think the the, the nineteen point season two thousand and two two thousand and three um, when Peter Reid was was sacked in the October and then uh, Howard Wilkinson took over. I mean that was that was a a, a grim season. I think they went. Half a season, 19 games, just picking up one point—a uh, goalless draw at, um, at Blackburn. 
Um, you know, I mean, to go half a season um, and and lose 18 out of 19 games um, was just, you know, incredible. And that losing streak continued on into the next season. I mean, uh, Mick McCarthy um, took over uh, in March of 2003 and, and he lost his first 11 league games in charge. I mean, I don't think yes. any any manager that, that could could survive coming into a new job and losing his first 11 games on the spin these days, I think it just wouldn't happen. Um, And you think about the 15-point season, which was even worse in terms of, obviously, the points gained. So that was in 2005-2006. I mean, those two seasons, the 15 and the 19-point seasons, are two of the worst seasons that any football journalist, um, you know, I, I, I I would suggest have covered, never mind regards to Sunderland. Well, that, that's right. I mean, James, as you know, I've had great empathy for you as, as someone who, who filled your role. And I can remember how hard it was for me when, when Mick Buxton was, was Sunderland manager and Kevin Keane was the Newcastle manager. Now, nothing against Mick. I didn't have the best of relationships with him. But I think the word dour would be the word that springs to mind with most Sunderland fans when they, they recall Mick Buxton, while Kevin Keegan was the most charismatic manager in not just English football, but European football at the time. And it was, it was pretty tough working for the Newcastle-based Evening Chronicle at a time when Newcastle were the entertainers and Sunderland were were just uh, plodding along in, in, in the second tier. How, how, have you, how have you found that? I mean, do, do you find it mentally tough? Have you had to, have, have you had to sort of uh, bang your drum extra loud at times? Um, it, did, it never really felt like that. I mean, obviously, there were, there were very grim times in those seasons, um, which, which we're talking about there, the 15 and 19-point seasons. Um, I think one thing that really helped is that, um, you know, the, I, we didn't have uh, social media to contend with at that stage. I mean, I think if you... Um, I mean, it might have been in 2005, 2006. I, I, certainly, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, on Twitter or what have you at that point. Um I think if you had that sort of 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, um, yeah. you know, echo chamber and it just produces a feedback loop, doesn't doesn't it? Where you know, clearly in a season like that, when there when there's going to be so much negativity, I think it would have probably driven driven anybody here crazy. But um, but yeah, thankfully that that wasn't around at that that point. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that would that would have been um, really tough. But but yeah, of course, you know there, there were times um, when when Sunderland struggled and Newcastle were on the up. Borough was less of a um, uh, an issue for, for for Sunderland, of course. Yeah. Where where I was working out of the the Chronicle, um, it was uh, it was left to me to to fly the red and white flag in a black and white office. So so yes, you would you would certainly feel. Um, you know, you you would cer- certainly <laughs> you, you you certainly feel it when when Newcastle were doing very well and at stages competing in, in Europe and Sunderland were were struggling. Um, but really, to be honest with, with you, uh, from my own personal point of view, as as, as you know, Ian, I'm not from the northeast and Sunderland yeah. um, and Newcastle. Uh, neither is, is is my team, so I probably didn't feel that as much as I would have done had I been a Sunderland fan doing the job. I think that would have been really, really tough, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, Although, so, yeah, there's probably, there's probably an element of that in there too, a, a bit of an element of neutrality which made it easier for me at that time. 
I think to your enormous credit, there are thousands of Muckhams who have bestowed the honorary Muckham title on you, on you James. <laughs> Jud- judging well, by I'm the, fine by with the that. Reaction. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm, you know, I've lived, in, sure the city. I've lived in the city for a long time, so uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. Excellent. Now, I lost count many years ago. How many how many managers I dealt with you, and you've just dealt with the one club, but uh, you probably lost count of the amount of managers at, at Sunderland. Have you have you? had a favourite manager if you want to tell me who the one you got on least well with feel free as well but talk about some of the managers you've dealt with and the relationships you've had yeah so um, Michael Beale was was my final manager Peter Reid my first um, so, that, so yeah. that's, that encompasses 21 um, permanent in inverted commas managers um, if that's not a uh, contradiction in terms um, so yeah, t- twenty-one permanent managers in, in that uh, in, in that twenty-four and a half year spell. Um, you know, obviously, more recently, as is as is the norm in football now, the, the turnover has got greater and greater, um, yes. and so uh, you know, no longer do managers tend to last. You know, five six years in in a role like uh, um, like Peter Reid did, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, so in, within there, I mean, I'm trying to think. So obviously, uh, working with Peter Reid was was a fantastic experience. Someone um, that was obviously when I when I first came up and took the job, I was in my early twenties. I remembered Peter Reid as as a player in an England international and a World Cup uh, uh, player with England. So that was a fabulous um, you know introduction for me. Um, of course. Roy Keane, you know, you have to mention Roy Keane. You know, he's one of the most Wonderful compelling times. characters in football. I mean, obviously, we all see Roy Keane now on on TV um, because he he does the punditry work on on Sky and, and other programs. But back then, um, it was the first time you, you know you were really seeing Roy Keane up close, away from his Manchester United. Um, Yes. You know, post playing, post playing career. So everything he was saying and his his take on situations and his uh, his character um, was new. That was new at the, oh, the, spell, the time. Oh, spellbinding, wasn't it? I mean, the it press conference yeah, before, because as a national journalist at the time, James, you went into a press conference and your your, your sports editor was saying, "Get me a back page splash," and invariably yeah. you got one. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. And the thing with the thing with Roy is he would answer any question, but he would very rarely give you the um, uh, the answer that you expected when you asked the question, um, which which made it um, you know very very entertaining. Uh, you know, you know what it's like you, yourself. Ian, you you ask questions sometimes, and you already know what the answer is going to be before you ask <laughs> the question. Um, that wasn't you the never case, got then. that feeling with Roy. You never got that feeling with with Roy. Uh, you know, anytime you 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 know you bowled him anything underarm, you know he 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 absolutely smashed it out of the ground. So it was, uh, yeah, it was in, incredible, really. Um, so Roy was a, a a brilliant character to work with. I, I loved working with Tony Mowbray as well. Um, oh, just didn't in, we all? Didn't more we recently. all? Fabulous, fabulous football man. Um, you know, a gentleman and a lovely guy, um, and Jack Ross as well. I, I, I really. I was going to mention that. I, I seem to recall you having a particularly close relationship with Jack. Yeah, yeah. Jack was great. Really, really did get on well with Jack. Um, you know, he he very dignified character at a time when Sunderland were really on the bones of their backside, having been. Yes. Um, relegated into uh, League One, um, great uh, uh, with all the great shame that, that came with that. You know, he he came in at that point, 
and uh, and and you know restored some of the some of the dignity um, as much as a, a manager could given the, the situation that the the club found itself in. So yeah, so that they will be my sort of personal highlights. You mentioned your know, least favourite. I mean, I, there's none. There's, there isn't a manager that I didn't get on with. Um, you know, that I, have, I was at daggers drawn with. There are managers that I got on well with, and then there are managers that I that you know I, I didn't have that closer relationship with. I guess yes. you, you would say Mick McCarthy. I wasn't particularly close to, um, although in more recent times when I've seen Mick on the circuit and he's been at uh, Ipswich and places more recently, you know, he's he's greeted me like a long lost friend, and you know, he's he's very very friendly now i guess yes. because i'm i'm not the person that's covering covering his football club so uh, you know he, he doesn't have have to have that more guarded element to him um i think there was a spell as well um uh, around sort of paolo di canio and uh, and even uh, gus poyet where I didn't really know the the the, the guys particularly well. Um, I didn't think they want, I don't think they needed. They didn't want to know you personally, did they? They they were fine, but they didn't want to get to know you as as personal friends, did they? No, no, they, they were they were friendly. They were polite. They, they you could have a, a you know a little bit of a laugh and, and and a joke with them in a press conference, but there was no sort of. Uh, element of, of getting to know them, you know, possibly, you know, meeting, meeting up with them for a coffee or, a, uh, you know, to get any kind of um, relationship going um, like that. There was nothing, nothing like that. So I guess at that, that stage, so that, that spell in the early 2010s kind of yep. drifted a, a little bit uh, from the personal. Now, I did, I did uh, fear I would need the full hour to interview you and uh, I wish I'd had it because I could go on forever. But we're going to we're going to fast forward to the the current day, and right. uh, I'm I, I'm I'm going to just film more and pretend I'm Piers Morgan, and uh, I'm sorry, James, but you're Rishi Sunak. Um, okay. Get, uh, would you bet a thousand pounds on Sunderland to reach the playoffs? Um, would I bet a thousand pounds on Sunderland to reach the playoffs? No, I wouldn't. Um, I'm afraid I wouldn't accept your your, your bet. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think that Sunderland have got a, a, a good chance of reaching the playoffs, but not confident enough to put a thousand pounds of my own money. Perhaps if I was as rich as Rishi Sunak, then maybe I could afford to do that and <laughs> not worry too and much. Would you put a five on them to beat Plymouth tomorrow, James? Yes, I would. I would put a fiver on them to beat Plymouth tomorrow. Plymouth, um, uh, you know, obviously newly newly promoted. They did beat Sunderland down um, uh, down there in in November, but Plymouth don't travel at all well. I think they've only won once away from home this season. Uh, so, so yes, I would definitely risk a, a crafty fiver um, on, on Sunderland tomorrow. And finally, I'm going to ask you to just walk into alien territory and. Uh, Talk for the final couple of minutes of the show about uh, Newcastle's trip to Nottingham Forest and Middlesbrough's home game against Bristol City, which I'll be at tomorrow. Uh, obviously, you, you've got a lot of friends who are Newcastle fans. You've got friends who are Middlesbrough fans. How, how, how do you see Newcastle's trip to the City Ground going, James? Yeah, well, 
you know, Newcastle are still um, in the midst of, of that sort of run, aren't they? That um, which is, has gone on for some time. I think what was it? Have they won two two league games in nine, something like that? Um, it's been a struggle this this season. What with the extra demands of the Champions League, after you know everything everything going so well last year, and Newcastle, uh, you know, doing so well to to, to get into that competition. Yeah. I think um, Forest. For, as, as for Forest, Forest, Forest aren't um, aren't going particularly well them, themselves. They've won, I think, two in twelve, something like that. But they have beaten Newcastle and, and Manchester United. Um, I think that'll be a pretty tight one. But I would say I'll I'll say Newcastle will win two one that one. And Middlesbrough v Bristol City, James. Very, we'll have to be and quick here. Yeah. Okay. No problem. I gallop through it then. Yeah. Um, Burr again. Um, they're down in 12th. Bristol City just behind them. They could actually go above them if they beat Borough tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that um, uh, Borough win 2 1 as well. Yeah, I, I, I would go along with you there. Well, listen, James, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I'm sure all our Sunday listeners and most of our Newcastle listeners would have been absolutely entranced by what you've had to say. And I look forward to uh, your book coming out. Uh, Volume? How many volume? How many volumes will that be? <laughs> it would be a lot, but I, I, for now, the book is on definitely on hold. <laughs> well, all the best, James, and it's been lovely hearing from you. Thanks very much, Ian. Cheers. Take care. Well, I've had two guests tonight who I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to. I just hope uh, that uh, all of you out there have enjoyed listening to them as much as I have. And uh, we'll be back next week when hopefully the weather will have improved and my cold will have improved too. Right across-